Thank you. We find ourselves today in a place in Luke where Jesus has largely completed his journey to Jerusalem. The die has been cast and the writing is on the wall. And there is no going back. This week we are in chapter 18 of Luke, but one chapter away in 19, we encounter the Palm Sunday story of branches waved and hosannas shouted, a parade, a protest, where Jesus's political power threatens the Roman peace. Jesus's radical love and inclusion for all in opposition to the hierarchy uh, essential in keeping the privileged in power. But that hasn't happened quite yet, though it will. And right before our passage today, at the end of Luke 17, Jesus tells us of the end times. He tells us of fire and sulfur raining down, of a couple asleep in their beds, of one taken and the other left behind, of two women hard at work, one taken and the other left. A horror story, the things nightmares are made of. Jesus knew that his, what his followers faced was going to be alarming startling, hard, and heartbreaking. Sometimes they would feel stuck in a nightmare and that they might even lose heart. And so Jesus gives us this parable of prayer, justice, and faith. Three foundation pieces of Christianity that early believers needed in their broken world in which they found themselves a parable that perhaps we too need in the broken world in which we find ourselves. A reading from Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, to himself, though I fear no God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. So I don't know if students still do this in school, if any of you did this in school, or you have children that do this in school, or maybe you teach people in school to do this. But I remember when I was a child in school that we were supposed to underline the main point sentence of an article. 
And here in this passage today, Luke makes it very easy. Then Jesus told them, sometimes the spirit of the Lord, (laughs) yes, the underlining. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. A simple, easy takeaway made explicit. Now I have to confess something to you that I do not always have the best prayer life. And I feel like that's a risky statement as a religious professional. I'm good at quick prayers as I'm driving somewhere or thinking of someone, but setting aside intentional time to pray every day, and not just prayer that someone else has written, though those are good too, but to really search my heart and to see where the world's and my own deep longing and pain exist, where my gratitude and joy are, and to take the time not just to talk at God, but to listen to. It takes effort, and if I'm honest, I'm not always the best at it. But we are called, in our scripture today, we hear this call to pray. We are currently having this debate in our world about what the role of prayer is. And we see this debate playing out on social media and in news outlets. Tragedy strikes and people send their thoughts and prayers and are met with some rebuke that thoughts and prayers are not sufficient. And I have to say that I think this is true, that we do need more than just prayer. But we also deeply and profoundly need prayer. This parable tells us a lot about prayer and its power and the ways that it gives us strength to persist, especially at those times where we feel like we're losing heart. It tells a story of a feisty widow who, unrelenting, goes back time and again, demanding justice to be done. In the the text, we find the judge saying, because the widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not continually wear me out with her coming. But as someone who's married to a classics major, I'm continually reminded of the importance of the original Greek words. And in this text, it actually makes a significant difference. Because the judge says, actually, because the widow causes trouble for me, I will give her justice so that she may not, in the end, give me a black eye by her coming. It's supposed to be a little funny. But it's true, the word that is used in Greek, the hypopiazo, which means to give a black eye, is used in this passage. And I love the idea of a little feisty widow that can pack a punch. A widow who's willing to go 10 rounds in the ring, holding on to what she knows is right, what is just. Jesus is telling us that our prayer life should be equally tenacious. I was lucky enough, um, I think it was last year or the year before, to join with some of our members, with Brian Hamilton and Norm Adams and a couple others in our Tuesday morning book group here at church. 
And we read the book by Desmond Tutu and by the Dalai Lama on joy. And the Dalai Lama, like this widow, is tenacious. Typically, the Dalai Lama meditates for an hour a day. But he writes that when he is busy, then he makes time to meditate for two hours a day, making sure that he has set his heart and mind on the things that are truly important. Similarly, before my sabbatical, I met with my pastoral relations team, a group of members who helped me through um, my life here with you all at the church, and we met to talk about my job transition and my time away, and I shared some general exhaustion that I was feeling. And one of the members of the group, he asked how my prayer life was. And I shamefully admitted that it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And he asked, well, what if you doubled it? (laughs) And I wonder what that would mean for each of us. But what is prayer even? Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite preachers, tells this beautiful story about her granddaughter. Her granddaughter, Madeline, a skinny, Uh, 10-year-old, 7-year-old, who has all legs and limbs and arms, and um, she's beautifully blonde and and so smart and vivacious. And and Barbara Brown Taylor writes that uh, when she came to celebrate her birthday last summer, there were just a few of us at the table. There was Madeline, her mother, her grandfather, and I. And she watched as the candles on her cake burned down while we sang her the birthday song. And then she leaned over to blow them out and to make, without making a wish. Why aren't you making a wish? Her mother asked. You have to make a wish, her grandfather said. But Madeline looked as if someone had just run over her cat. She said, I don't know why I keep doing this to no one in particular. Doing what? I asked. This wishing thing, she said, looking at an empty chair at the end of the table. Last year, I wished my best friend wouldn't move away, but she still did. This year, I want my mommy and daddy to get back together. Well, that's not going to happen, her mother interrupted, so don't waste your wish on that. Since this was an issue of wishing and not praying, I left her alone that afternoon. But I know that sooner or later, Madeline and I were going to have a talk about prayer. One day, when Madeline asks me outright whether prayer really works, I'm going to say, oh, sweetie, of course it does. It keeps our heart chasing after God's heart. It's how we bother God, and it's how God bothers us back. And there's nothing that works any better than that. Now, God's not like Santa Claus, granting the wishes of our prayers, if only we're faithful enough. There is no causal relationship. But our prayers keep our hearts open, seeking God and allowing God equally to seek us. Prayer is important, and as people of faith, it is essential. We are called to pray. When tragedy strikes in our lives and in our world, we pray. But we never stop there. Pope Francis said that we pray for the hungry and then we feed them. That is how prayer works. And sometimes our prayers are tentative. Sometimes our prayers are big prayers. 
And then sometimes we listen to what God is calling us to in our lives. But we pray for the hungry and then we feed them. We pray to end gun violence and then we work for gun reform. We pray for people seeking refuge and then we do the work of making places where they can find sanctuary. In our prayer, like the widow, we bother and we persist and we are unrelenting. And then in our actions too, we are called to be like the widow, to bother and to persist and to unrelent, to do the hard work needed to be bringers of justice. Jesus sets up this story of the powerful and the powerless, the unjust judge and the widow. And isn't that the story of the entire gospel? The teen, pregnant and single, bringing God into this world. The lowly carpenter's son out of the backwaters of Nazareth where nothing good can come. Preaching not to the powerful and the privileged, but to the outcast and the ostracized. This is our gospel, where the powerless persist. Widows were one of the vulnerable in the patriarchal society of ancient Israel, where women often had men accompany them to markets and on roads, really most of the time that they left their domestic sphere. And being a widow was physically and economically and socially dangerous. And we find this widow alone, with no one to advocate with or for her, seeking justice against an unnamed opponent. But in Luke, we see the power of these powerless. And Luke especially seems to have a thing for widows who are not only vulnerable, but widows who also appear as prophetic. There's the widow who gives her last coin, modeling what generosity truly looks like. There's the widow, Anna, who is a prophet in the temple and is one of the first to recognize who Jesus is and proclaim the good news of his birth. And there are others, because our gospel is one of the powerless being powerful. And here we see the lessons of the widows rooted in prayer, moved to justice, and living lives of faith. Jesus, in this passage, ends with a question, which I love because Jesus never wants to give us any easy answers. But he ends with the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Duke Divinity School professor Brittany Williams writes that we may find the beginnings of an answer to Jesus' question in the gospel itself, where a number of people are commended for their faith. There's the centurion who believes that Jesus can heal his slave from far away. There's the sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet and loves much. There's the friends of the paralytic who are literally willing to break through a roof and lower their friend down so that he may be healed. There's the bleeding, unclean woman who touches Jesus' clothes in a crowd and is healed. There's the Samaritan leper whose gratitude turns him back to Jesus where he falls on his feet in thanksgiving. 
and the blind beggar later in this chapter who sees Jesus for who he is and calls to him. So a beginning of the answer to the question about the Son of Man is that faith may be found in unexpected places as it is here in this gospel. It's not found among the religious professionals or the ones certain of their own righteousness. But faith is found among the outsiders, the unclean and the unlovely, the ones certain of their own sinfulness. This past week, Dan and I went with some friends to partake in drinks and heavy hors d'oeuvres of an alumni event where we heard three professors speak on creativity. And there's a mathematician and a physicist and a psychologist, which sounds like the start of some really bad sort of joke. And the physicist said something really profound, though. She said that when you look at creative solutions throughout history, they're often tied to desperation. That what is happening in that moment cannot continue. That there's a sense of urgency and people find creative solutions to these problems. And if we look at the people that Jesus marks as faithful, there's also a sense of desperation, of last resortedness. So I have to ask all of us, where do we feel desperate? Maybe we feel desperate within our jobs or with our kids. Maybe we feel desperate with a particular family member Maybe we feel desperate within society with issues of injustice that plague our country and our world. But if we admit it to ourselves, we're all a little bit desperate. Several years ago, a children's book called She Persisted came out. And as I got ready to preach this Sunday on the persistent widow, I thought that it would be a perfect book to read about women who faced incredible odds, and in their desperation that something had had to change, that they deserved more, and they did the hard work of making a way out of no way. The story opens with, sometimes being a girl isn't easy. At some point, someone will probably tell you no, and they will tell you to be quiet, and maybe they will tell you that your dreams are impossible. And you go on to read of Harriet Tubman and of Helen Keller, who said that one can never consent to creep when one feels the impulse to soar. You read of Maria Tallchief, the first Native American ballerina, and Claudette Colvin, who at 15 refused to give up her seat on a bus and inspired Rosa Parks. You read of scientists and journalists and judges, and these are our modern day widows, persisting. But we, too, have the power to be these persistent widows. The children's book ends like this. So if anyone ever tells you no, if anyone ever says that your voice isn't important, or your dreams are too big, remember these words, that these women persisted, and you should, too. Maybe in our desperation, we can turn to prayer. May we pray. May we 
take minutes of our lives marking and setting apart time where we can seek God and God can seek us. And may we act like the widow did, having hard conversations, asking for help, joining together with others, admitting when we cannot do it alone. And our God calls us. Our God calls us right alongside her to pray and then do the hard work of prayer. Because God, she persists, and we do too. Amen.